One of the things that amazes me about the Gospels is really how little we have of Jesus' corporate teachings. We know that he was teaching all the time, but what's recorded more for us is his interactions with people one-on-one. We have a few of his teachings, but we have a lot of one-on-one interactions with Jesus. And that's what we find in Luke chapter 5, is Jesus loving on people individually, which resulted in changed lives. So never underestimate God using a one-on-one conversation. That's where real life change happens. As we're able to sit with someone, be in their life, spend time with them, that's where Christ shows up. Also, Jesus wants to be personal in our lives as well. He is personal in our lives. Of the individuals that we're going to read of, he doesn't interact with them the same way. In fact, there's not two people in the Gospels that he interacts the same way. He sees them as a person, a person that he's created, a person that he'll die for, and he reaches out to them with his, his love. So verse 1 of chapter 5, So it was as the multitude pressed about him to hear the word of God that he stood by the lake of Gennesaret. There's a movement of God happening. As Jesus is sharing, people are gathering and they're pressing in. So many are coming that they're pressing in upon Christ that now he's standing at the shore of the Sea of Galilee. The Lake of Gennesaret is the Sea of Galilee. It's another name for the Sea of Galilee. And saw two boats standing by the lake. But the fishermen had gone from them and were washing their nets. Then he got into one of the boats, which was Simon's, and asked him to put out a little from land. And he sat down and taught the multitudes from the boat. We'll read that this is Simon's boat, who is Peter, as well as James and John. James and John are his partners. They have went fishing all night long. They're professional fishermen. They caught nothing. Now they're washing their nets. If you've done any amount of fishing, it's really the work afterwards. If you catch fish, that's when you've got to clean the fish, and then you've got to put all your gear away. And when you're out fishing, that's, that's the fun part. So they've been out all night, and now they're just cleaning up and they're washing. And Jesus very purposefully gets into Peter's boat. He's going to do a work in Peter's life. He's going to call Peter unto himself. And Simon is willing to share his boat with Jesus. Jesus is going to use the boat as a platform to be able to share with the multitude. The water becomes a natural sound system, if you would. What's your boat? What do you do throughout your days? What's your day really filled with? Is it being a school teacher, being an accountant, being a construction worker, being a mom? How is it that you go about your day? Would, would you give your boat to Jesus to allow Jesus to use it? as his platform. Isn't that a cool picture to say, okay, God, you have put me in this place. You've given me this boat, and I want this boat to be used to proclaim your message. In verse 4, when he had stopped speaking, he said to Simon, launch out into the deep and let down your nets for a catch. One thing that I've noticed is you don't give fellow fishermen advice, especially veteran fishermen, right? Hey, hey, could I uh, encourage you to go down the shore 10 yards? Son, what are you talking about? Like, have you tried this other type of power bait? You, know, you just, you don't do that. You don't, you don't give advice. And here's Jesus. He's the carpenter. He's the rabbi. He's the teacher. And he's coming to the professional fishermen saying, hey, let's launch out into the deep. 
And here's Peter's response. But Simon answered and said to him, Master, we've toiled all night and caught nothing. Nevertheless, at your word, I will let down the net. Better fishing at night than here in the heat of the day. But yet Peter says, I will at your word go out and cast down my net. Notice that Peter has toiled all night long and he has has caught nothing. And this is oftentimes when God reaches us, when we're at a low point, when we've caught nothing, where we're out trying to do it on our own. I know that that was the case in my life as a freshman in high school. There was a lot of effort being put in, but a lot of emptiness. I wasn't following the Lord, didn't have a relationship with the Lord And God was gracious to reach out to me in that point of toiling, in that point of of emptiness. Peter provides a great example for us. There's going to be times where it seems counterintuitive to us to follow God's word. Our emotion is telling us something different. But yet, Peter had understood something about Jesus, that there was something special about Jesus, that this wasn't just an ordinary person, that his word was worth following And hopefully we can set our emotions aside and we can look at the character of God. We can look at the consistency of his word and say, nevertheless, at your word, at your word, Lord, I'm going to obey you and I'm going to cast out my net. And when he'd done this, they caught a great number of fish and their net was breaking. So many fish that their net was breaking. So they signaled to their partners in the other boat to come and help them. And they came and filled both the boats, so they began to sink. Incredible, right? So much fish that the boats were actually sinking. Notice Peter's response. When Simon Peter saw it, he fell down at Jesus' knees, saying, Depart from me, for I am a sinful man, O Lord. As Jesus changes lives, he focuses on Simon Peter, and Simon Peter's won by grace. He's won by grace. This is the way that Peter supports his family. This is a huge paycheck that has just come into his life. And he falls on his knees before the Lord. I would imagine there wasn't too many people that Peter got on his knees before. And he's broken. And this is what he's experiencing Depart from me, for I'm a sinful man, O Lord. Peter's starting to understand who Jesus is. And in the same moment that he's understanding who Jesus is, he's also understanding who he is. Have you ever had that experience with the Lord? We're like, wow, Jesus loves me. He loves me unconditionally. But also, I'm so extremely sinful. I don't deserve these blessings that God is bringing into my life. And A lot of times this is the way that Jesus comes after us is not with the punishment that we deserved. I would imagine there was some punishment that Simon Peter deserved as this salty fisherman. But that's not what Jesus did. Jesus blessed him. He blessed him by grace. And it was this grace that won Peter's heart. Or now Peter's realizing his own sin before the Lord and is willing to follow the Lord. You may be saying, well, where's the grace that's come into my life? My boats are empty. God hasn't filled my boat. My boat isn't sinking with blessing. Well, think a little bit deeper as we're on a sinking ship with our sin. And God in his grace gave us his son, which is far more than a boatload of fish. Gave us forgiveness of sin. Gave us that favor that can only come through the cross of Jesus Christ. 
if we turn and trust and believe in what he has done for us. In verse 9, Jesus speaks to Peter, For he and all who were with him were astonished at the catch of fish which they had taken. And so also were James and John, the sons of Zebedee, who were partners of Simon. And Jesus said to Simon, Do not be afraid. From now on you will catch men. James and John will become disciples of Jesus as well. Friends of Peter, Peter's brother Andrew, will be a disciple of Christ. Four fishermen following after Jesus. Jesus had 12 disciples. But here in this account, Jesus is focusing upon Peter. He says, I don't want you to be afraid. I know that you're aware of your sin. But from now on, you will catch men. God flips Simon Peter's life. He flips his perspective He flips his priorities and his passions. Where Peter is going out just trying to catch fish and being strategic about catching fish, making as much money as possible in survival. And Jesus says, Peter, the way that you have worked so hard for fish, now you're going to work hard for the souls of men. I know you're aware of your sin. I know you're aware of your brokenness. But I'm ready to call you unto myself for you to be my disciple. At this time, there was a culture of apprenticeship. The way that you would learn skills was not by going off to college, but you would be an apprentice. You would be a disciple. The rabbis would have disciples. We, we see that with John the Baptist and the scribes and the Pharisees. And so Jesus is recruiting his disciples. Disciple means a, a follower of Christ. These men would be the ones that carry the message out after Christ's death, the resurrection, and ascension. And hear me on this. Peter is an unlikely candidate to be a disciple of the King of Kings, God in human flesh. If there were churches that were searching for a pastor, Peter's resume would not come up. Right? But this is exactly who the Lord wanted. This is exactly who the Lord was going to win with his grace and call unto his kingdom. And this brings us hope and it brings us encouragement as our lives are broken, as we don't necessarily have the skills from the world's perspective to be used by God. God's not looking for professionals. He's looking for those that are available to him, those that love him, those that are willing to be used by him. In verse 11, so when they had brought their boats to the land, they forsook all and followed him. Peter also James and John, this encounter with Jesus filling their boats with fish got them to the place of saying, we're going to forsake all and we're going to follow Jesus. We're putting Jesus at the priority of our lives. We're going to see a similar call that's given to Matthew, the tax collector, in just a moment. But now the focus is upon a leper in verse 12. And it happened When he was in a certain city, and behold, a man who was full of leprosy saw Jesus, and he fell on his face and implored him, saying, Lord, if you are willing, you can make me clean. We don't know the exact city, but there's a man in this city. Jesus is going to change his life. And he's full of leprosy. Leprosy is a hideous disease where it affects your skin, it affects your flesh, it goes after your nervous system, where you don't feel cold, you don't feel pain, so you don't feel heat. You could touch the stove and not feel anything and get a severe burn. 
could be out in cold weather and not realize how cold that you were getting and get, get frostbite. There was no cure for leprosy. Lepers had to be isolated and live in leper colonies. And this man is full of leprosy. He's just caked with, with leprosy. In many ways, leprosy is like sin. Sin causes us to be numb, doesn't it? Sin destroys us and takes us over. Sin isolates us. And he knows that there's something special about Jesus, this leper. And he gets on his knees and he begs Jesus saying, if you're willing, you can make me clean. He knew that Jesus had to be willing, but he also knew that Jesus had the ability to make him clean. He's not just assuming that God is wanting to make him clean, but he's humbling himself before the Lord. Such a powerful verse in verse 13 Then he put out his hand and touched him, saying, I am willing, be cleansed. Immediately the leprosy left him. He's touched by love. His life is changed as he's touched by the love of Jesus Christ. Jesus did not have to touch the leper. He could have simply said, be cleansed, and he would be healed. That would be more than enough. And notice Jesus touched him before, before he was healed. How long had it been since this leper had been touched? Nobody wants to touch the leper because it's a contagious disease through, through contact. If you saw this leper coming that was just full of leprosy, the tendency would be like, dude, just stay away. Stay away from me. I, I don't want your, your leprosy. Jesus is putting his own health at risk by, by touching this, this leper. It's amazing how much that God has created us to where we need human touch. Research shows if you just go into complete isolation and you don't have any human touch, what what it does to you psychologically, what it does to your person. I remember years ago visiting a a young man in, in prison in Idaho when I was living in Idaho. I usually tend to leave that part of my life out, but I did live in Idaho for a while in Nampa, Idaho. And was just starting in ministry and serving at a Calvary there. And they sent me to go visit this young guy in, in prison. And at the time, there would be the glass in between the two of us. And you'd talk on a phone. And I would try to see him week, every week over the several months. And we built quite the rapport. And, and one day at the end of our visit, he just put his hand up on the glass. And we had never shook hands. You know, never did the bro hug on the side or any of those type of things. And I'm sure in prison, there's not a lot of contact. A lot of this familial human affection that God has created us for. And and so he just put his hand on the glass and I put my hand on the glass and it hit me. This this kid, this 19-year-old kid is longing for the human interaction that the Lord has created us for. You may have noticed the last several months we're trying to build back into our services the importance of greeting each other. It's more than just a courtesy thing to do, but you're actually built up as you shake hands, as you touch each other, as you do the holy side hug that we do in our Western culture, right? So this guy was healed of his leprosy, but he was touched. He was touched by the love of Jesus Christ. And in that touch that Jesus put upon him, he knew that he was loved by by God. And as we're the sinner that's full of leprosy, a lot of times 
We don't want anybody to see our leprosy. We don't want anyone to see our sin. And then sometimes when people see the reality of who we really are, it scares them. And they're like, hey, get away from me. You're, you're messed up. But Jesus, he doesn't shun. He doesn't push you away. He says, hey, bring your sin to me. If you don't know Christ as your Savior, he's the one that can forgive you of your sins and, and cleanse you. As Christians, we still wrestle with sin and for some reason we want to hide it from the Lord. Brother, sister in Christ, we can bring our sin to the Lord. We can bring our leprosy to the Lord. He's willing to cleanse us of our sin. He's not in a place where he's going to push us away, but he's going to reach out and bring that healing that only he can provide. In verse 14, and he charged him to tell no one, but go and show yourself to the priests and make an offering for your cleansing as a testimony to them, just as Moses commanded. In the law, God gave instruction. If someone was healed from leprosy, they were to go to the priests. The priests were to inspect them. There was an offering that was to be made. Then they would be allowed back into the community. God speaks to the leper and says, I don't want you to tell anybody. I want you to go to the priests because the priests need this testimony of God in their lives. Even though this is recorded in Leviticus, how many times did the priests actually have to walk through it? How often was there someone that was healed from leprosy? So this would have been an encouragement to the priests as well. However, the report went around concerning him all the more, and the great multitudes came together to hear and to be healed by him of their infirmities. So the leper, he obviously told people. <laughs> and news gets out of what Christ is doing, and, and more people come, more sick people come. And Jesus in verse 16, so he himself often withdrew into the wilderness and prayed. Often Jesus would go into the wilderness and pray. Where Christ's refreshment, where he was encouraged as he spent time alone with the Father. If we're always pouring out, always pouring out, always pouring out, and not receiving from the Lord, ultimately it's going to lead to burnout. You may be feeling a little bit of, of burnout in life this morning. It definitely happens. Get alone with the Lord. Have that walk with the Lord. Have that prayer time with the Lord. Have that time in, in the Word and worship. And Jesus is that example for us in that. The focus now goes to a paralyzed man, a paralytic. Now, it happened on a certain day, as he was teaching, that there was a Pharisees and teachers of the law sitting by who had come out of every town of Galilee, Judea, and Jerusalem, and the power of the Lord was present to heal them. The Pharisees, the teachers of the law, they come from Galilee, Judea, which is southern Israel, Jerusalem, which is in the south as well, but they're coming to critique Jesus, trying to entrap Jesus and ultimately arrest them. Verse 18, Then behold, men brought on a bed a man who was paralyzed, whom they sought to bring in and lay before him. And when they couldn't find how they might bring him in because of the crowd, they went up on the housetop and let him down with his bed through the tiling into the midst before Jesus. When he saw their faith, he said to him, man, your sons are forgiven you. This third man, his life is changed because he was carried by faith. Notice in verse 20, it says, when he saw their faith, res 
referring to the friends. The friends convinced their paralyzed friend to go to Jesus. Hey, can we bring you to Jesus? Can we carry you to Jesus? We've heard of all of these amazing things that Jesus has done. You get to the house and the house is absolutely packed. There's no way to get in. You would think that's when you would go home, right? I guess we're not gonna get to see Jesus today. But instead, the friends start looking at the roof, going, I I think we can hoist you up on the roof. We got this ropes here. Somehow they figure out a way to rig this up and the paralyzed man is willing. Before you know it, he's on the roof and they're taking the tiles off of the roof. Imagine you're the homeowner. It says that Jesus was teaching. You know, Jesus is giving his message in verse 17 and all of a sudden the roof is starting to come off and they're dropping, dropping them down right before Jesus, right? Like, we got him now. We got Jesus' attention now. And Jesus looks at their faith, looking up, and he says, man, your sins are forgiven. Do you think that this is what the friends were expecting? They were wanting their friend to be healed, to be able to get up and walk. And instead, Jesus forgives his sins. Do you know what the greatest need that this man had wasn't to get up and walk, as important as that was. He needed his sins to be forgiven. The greatest weight that he was carrying was the weight of his sin. And that's true for us. The greatest need that we have is for our sins to be forgiven. If you know Christ as your Savior, and you've trusted him, and you know the glory of having the weight of your sin lifted, you know that that is the greatest miracle in your life. You've experienced something that's even greater than being paralyzed and being able to walk again. This man is gonna be healed, be able to walk again, but nothing could compare to his sins being forgiven. I think many of us like long to see a miracle, long to see someone healed physically, experience a physical healing in our life, and God may allow that, But remember, if you've experienced the forgiveness of your sin, you've experienced the greatest miracle, haven't you? If you share the gospel with someone else and God opens up their heart and they trust Christ for salvation, you've just witnessed the greatest miracle, the greatest need in someone's life take place. We can be this friend that decides to take a loved one and place him at the feet of Jesus. How do we do that? We do it in prayer. You pull the roof off in prayer. I'm going to place this person right in the presence of Jesus through prayer. Are you able to look back in your life and see that God has done a work in your life through the prayers of others? Was there one or two people that were diligent to pray for you? And ultimately, God was gracious to to answer those prayers. As you're praying for someone, a son, a daughter, a mom, a dad, a friend, a brother, a sister. Don't give up. Maybe it's been years. Continue to pray for them. Get two or three friends. Hey, say, would you pray with me? I've been praying for them for such a long time, and they haven't come to know Christ their Savior. Would you join me in prayer? And by faith, let's carry them to the Lord, just like these friends brought their paralyzed friend to the Lord. And the scribes and the Pharisees began to reason, saying, 
Who is this who speaks blasphemies? Who can forgive sins but God alone? This is exactly what the scribes and the teachers were looking for. He's claiming to be God. The only person that can forgive sins is is God. Jesus is clearly giving a statement of his deity here. But when Jesus perceived their thoughts, he answered and said to them, Why are you reasoning in your hearts? Which is easier to say, your sins are forgiven you, or to say, rise up and walk? Isn't it convicting that Jesus sees our hearts? These men are not talking out loud, but Jesus hears their complaints in their hearts, and he addresses it and says, what's easier, to say your sins are forgiven, or to rise, take up your bed, and walk? From an outward perspective, it's easier to say your sins are forgiven, Because it's not something that's seen outwardly necessarily. But if you say, rise, take up your bed and walk, you're on the hook, aren't you? Either that person's healed or or they're not. And so Jesus, to prove that he is God, to prove that he has the power to forgive sins, verse 24, but that you may know that the Son of Man has power on earth to forgive sins. He said to the man who was paralyzed, I say to you, arise, take up your bed, and go to your house. Just keeps getting better for this paralyzed man. His sins are forgiven. He's feeling lighter. And now Jesus heals him and allows him to get up and walk and to take his bed and to go home. Immediately, he rose before them, took up what he'd been lying on, and departed to his own house, glorifying the Lord. In verse 26, and they were all amazed and they glorified God and were filled with fear saying, we have seen strange things today. You really can't put into words how their minds are blown by this, how amazed they are at the work of God and they're glorifying God. Our attention now goes upon Matthew, the tax collector, also known as Levi. After these things, notice this, this is all just happening Boom, 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 right after each other. After these things with the paralytic, he went out and saw a tax collector named Levi sitting at the tax office. And he said to him, follow me. So he left all, rose up, and followed him. Levi's life is changed because he's called by the physician. Levi's a traitor. How do we know that? Because Levi's a Hebrew name of the tribe of Levi. What's he doing working for the Romans and being a Roman tax collector? Most of the tax collectors were dishonest and would collect too much tax and keep some for themselves. And here he is sitting in the IRS office. And Jesus sees him and he calls him by name. And he says to him, follow me. And there was something about Jesus that caused Levi to say, I'm leaving all of this and I'm going to follow Christ. I'm going to be the disciple of Jesus Christ. How would this sit with the other disciples? I'm sure the other disciples were not too fond of tax collectors, not too fond of the the Roman Empire. And God puts together this renegade group of 12 men from a variety of different backgrounds to follow Jesus Christ. And church, when we talk about Jesus being personal, Jesus is here in our lives and he's calling us unto himself. He's calling us to follow him. Jesus is not necessarily looking for just church attendance. It's wonderful 
to attend church because we're a disciple of Jesus Christ, because we, we want to be here. But Jesus is not just looking for us to check a box and go, well, I did my hour and 15 minutes for the week. Now I'm going to do whatever I want. The rest of the week belongs to me. Jesus wants our hearts and our lives 24-7 to where he's calling us into relationship with him, where we follow him. He's the authority. He's the Lord. He's the master. He's the teacher. The disciples would understand that Jesus is the authority. They're following Christ's example. And for us to follow Jesus is that understanding of, of Jesus, you're my Lord. And a lot of times that's where the power struggle is. We want to be in control. But Jesus is calling us to, to follow him. And as we follow him, it's us submitting to him, but also Jesus calling us into relationship. The disciples would spend these three years with Jesus all of the time, and, and we get to spend our days with Jesus. And as we're following Jesus, Jesus transforms our life. Jesus would say to the group of fishermen, follow me and I will make you fishers of men. I'm going to change your priorities. I'm going to change you from the inside out where you're concerned with whether people are going to heaven or hell or not, if they know Jesus or not. And as, as you follow Jesus, he will change us and he will transform us and he will, will make us. I'm really thankful that the Christian life is not behavior modification. It's not us trying harder to do better because that's a downward spiral. That's a pit of despair. But it's a savior who loves us, who died for our sins and rose again, who lives inside of us, that walks with us, that's, that's calling us into relationship with him. It's interesting in our culture, we've really picked up on this phrase follow when it comes to social media. You follow somebody. You have so many followers, right? Whatever that means. Well, there's one that we really need to follow and that's Jesus Christ and him crucified, amen? amen. Where he's got my attention. He's on the pedestal. He's the one that I worship. He's the one who calls the shots in my life. And, and this is not just for Peter. It's not just for, for Matthew. It's for us. It's for you. It's, it's for me where Jesus calls us into relationship with him. Then Levi gave him a great feast in his own house, and there was a great number of tax collectors and others who sat down with them. And the scribes and the Pharisees complained against his disciples, saying, Why do you eat and drink with tax collectors and sinners? Jesus answered and said to them, Those who are well have no need of a physician, but those who are sick. I've not come to call the righteous, but sinners to repentance." What's so cool about this is Levi gets called by the Lord, called into relationship with Jesus. So he invites Jesus to his house, has a feast, has, has a barbecue. And Levi invites all of his friends. Well, naturally, who would his friends be? Sinners and tax collectors. This causes the scribes and the Pharisees to get upset, saying, why are you having a meal with tax collectors and with sinners. And Jesus' response is, well, when do you go to the doctor? You go when you're sick. Isn't that when you go to the doctor? Maybe your yearly checkup? But something's wrong for you to go to the doctor. And Jesus is the great physician. And the reason that Jesus came is because we're sick. And Jesus said, I didn't come for the righteous, meaning those that 
have it all together. The scribes and the Pharisees didn't see their need for repentance. They didn't see their need for a savior. Jesus says, fine, you guys, you want to do it on your own? Go for it. But Jesus came for the sinners. He came for you. He came for me. He came for those that understand that their lives are broken to call them to repentance. The reason that Jesus was having these meals with sinners, that he was the friend of sinners, was to communicate his love to them and then to call them out of that place of sin. Jesus wasn't condoning or approving of the sin, but he was loving them where they were at to bring them to a place of repentance. And isn't that beautiful that that's how Jesus pursues us? One thing that happens, unfortunately, to us as believers is most of the time, the longer that we walk with the Lord, the less friends that we have with unbelievers. And if Christ is our model and we're following Christ, we too should be friends with unbelievers, right? For the purpose of seeing them come to know Christ as their Savior. Now, we are also called in Scripture to have friends that are believers. We call it fellowship. But that fellowship is for the purpose of building us up to where we can be a testimony. We can be incarnate, if you would, how Christ came and dwelt among us, that we spend time with unbelievers, spend time with those that are difficult to be around to share the love of Christ. Who was it in your life that spent time with you before you knew Christ as your Savior? It's cool how God lines things up sometimes for us. And I'll let you into something. We're not the best planners as a staff here at Rocky Mountain Calvary. Like we try, but there's just so much happening that there's only so much planning we can do. So we're just teaching through the book of Luke and Dan Johnson lines up mission stuff to happen. And God had it lined up this morning that Corey would be here and encourage us in the same thing that we're reading in the word. Isn't that cool? To go out and to share the love of Jesus Christ. There's three ministries in the foyer where you have the opportunity to say, I'm going to go into prisons, I'm going to go into juvenile detention centers, and I'm going to share the love of Jesus Christ there. You may be sitting hearing this message going, I don't have a lot of unbelievers in my life. Well, there's three ministries that will provide a lot of unbelievers in your life if you want to make that, that step. But pray about it. Who are the unbelievers that God has called you to? Opening up your home, opening up your apartment, opening it up to believers. Well, open it up to unbelievers too. Have some unbelievers over. Do something crazy and mix it up where you have some believers over with some unbelievers. Like tell your believing friends, hey, I'm going to invite these coworkers over that don't know the Lord. I'm going to invite these neighbors over that don't know the Lord. And we're just going to be in relationship together and see what God, God does. We'll get together, watch the football game and have some believers over, but also have some, some unbelievers over. Because Jesus, thankfully, he came for sinners came for us, and as Christ has impacted us to share that love of Jesus Christ with others. Then they said to him, why did the disciples of John fast often and make prayers, and likewise those of the Pharisees, but yours eat and drink? How come John's, John the Baptist's disciples fast, the Pharisees, they fast, 
But Jesus' disciples, they're always eating and having a good time. Like, what's going on with you guys? And he said to them, can you make the friends of the bridegroom fast while the bridegroom is with them? But the days will come when the bridegroom will be taken away from them and they will fast in those days. Jesus says the time for fasting is coming, but right now I'm with them. And this is a time of feasting and celebration. And Jesus ends this chapter with this exhortation to be new wineskins available for the work of the Lord. Then he spoke a parable to them. No one puts a piece of new garment on an old one. Otherwise, the new makes a tear. And also the piece that was taken out of the new does not match the old. And no one puts new wine into old wineskins or else the new wine will burst the wineskins and be spilled and the wineskins will be ruined. But the new wine must be put into new wineskins and both are preserved. And no one having drunk old wine immediately desires new for he says the old is better. Jesus is doing a new work that wasn't the custom in the religious system, and that was to spend time with sinners. And the scribes and the Pharisees could not accept it because they were stuck in their ways. They were stuck in their traditions of religion. Jesus brings the new covenant through the Holy Spirit. And for us in our lives, we don't want to be in a place where we miss the work of Jesus because we say it's never been like this before. Now, please hear me. God's never going to lead us apart from his scripture. He's not going to lead us outside of truth. He's always going to lead us in truth. Amen? But inside of truth, God may guide us and direct us to do something that we haven't done before. That's uncomfortable to us. You know what the death of a church is? When a church says, oh, we've never done it that way before. There's a new move of the Spirit. There's a new work of God. There's something that God is stirring. But the response of church leaders, the response of the church is, man, we've never done it this this way before. You know, it's customary now in most churches to play electric guitars and drums. But that was not always the case. In the Jesus movement, there was churches that decided to allow hippies that had gotten saved to play electric guitars and drums. Do you know how that shrunk church attendance for some people? Because they'd never seen that before. Now the flip side would be we're going to hymns. You know, we go to hymns and everybody would be like, I'm leaving. Where's the drums and the electric guitars, right? (laughs) But it was a new work of the Holy Spirit. It was biblical. There was nothing wrong with it. It lined up with, with scriptures and allowed them to use their gifts and talents. And there was a beautiful work of, of the Spirit. Here's the heart of it. As a church... And as individuals, I don't want Jesus to pass us by. I don't want to miss what God is doing right now, today, in this time, because we're stuck. We want to be that new wineskin that's flexible to the work of the Spirit, to flexible for what God is doing in our hearts and our lives. Would you stand with me and let's pray together. Jesus, we thank you that you're personal with us, that we're not just a number to you, that you pursue us, that you win us by your grace, that you heal us of our leprosy, forgive us of our sins, call us unto yourself. May we hear your voice afresh to be called unto you. 
May our relationship with you not be old hat or obligation, but may it be fresh. For those that don't know your love, I pray today, Jesus, that you would introduce yourself to them. For those of us that are believers, would you, Jesus, be afresh in our lives? May we be excited about your mission to to go and love, to go and share. So we thank you and we praise you in Jesus' name. Amen.